Hello and welcome back my partners in crime, welcome back to Murder Analyzed and a big thank you to all my partners in crime, my members, thank you so much for your support, I really appreciate it and also for all the super thanks that you've been sending, I, it's really overwhelming and thank you so much, I really appreciate it. So as we continue on with this uh, October um, sort of case line of quite serious cases I suppose, uh, the next case I want to do today is uh, the John Wayne Gacy case. Now most of you have heard of this case, it's a shocking case, so there is a warning out with this case. It is quite graphic, of course, because this man um, is a serial killer and, and what he did to his victims is absolutely um, hor horrific, I think is the only word for this man. But it's a really interesting case, this one. And so then, listen, this is the John Wayne Gacy case. So John Wayne Gacy was born on March the 17th, 1942, and he was executed on the 10th of May, 1994. He was an American serial killer and sex offender as well. He raped and tortured and murdered at least 33 men and boys um, in the Chicago area. So Gacy, I think, regularly performed like these children's hospitals and dressed up as clowns and everything. He also um, done parties for up to 200 of his neighbours at a time. He was a very social man and he used to dress up as a clown and everything else. And it is reported also that he would dress up a clown on some of um, his kills. So this is why I suppose he became known as the killer clown because that was part of his persona out to the world you know but underneath all that you know this pillar of society was a man who was absolutely deadly from a very very young age so I think when you think about Gacy and you think about his crimes and his victims of crimes and we've spoke about victims of crimes before where these killers and serial killers uh, you know get their opportunities to kill. Gacy was no different than most other serial killers really. Um, he went for, at first, he went for um, young boys and stuff that were on the streets, sort of, you know, even if they were reported missing, it would seem like they were runaways. You know, this sort of time um, in this era, you know, kids going missing or hitchhiking or going from one state of America to another was quite normal. But what people really wasn't thinking but there were serial killers out there. So a lot of these kids that went missing at this time were murdered. And it wasn't until much later on when these, when these criminals are caught, when these serial killers are caught, that it really comes out that um, these kids were never runaways. He wasn't caught until I think his sort of last victim because his, I suppose their mode sort of changing. He'd got away with it for so long, I suppose that he then went for someone that wasn't that sort of a child. He, he was a child, a 15-year-old, that come from a loving background, a home. People were going to report him missing. He was well-educated. He was your typical American young lad, you know, with his whole life ahead of him. So again, we look at serial killers as, as they change, as they evolve, really, from where they start from to where, they're at, where they end. And... Um, I think the worst thing about Gacy is that how he talks about his victims as vermin. And it's um, shocking really, because this man had no remorse for what he did at all. He was a closet 
in a closet homosexual at that, you know, right from very early on. And in them days, it wasn't easy to come out as gay and stuff as it is now. It wasn't accepted. And um, did this have something to do with why he did what he did? I'm not so sure. There's many people, you know, that are homosexuals that are still not come out, but they're not, you know, serial killers. So in this case, we're going to look at his childhood because that's important with Gacy, this childhood of his. Up until his kills and how he killed and, you know, and I think before he killed, even about the children that he abused and got away with it. And then when he went to prison for that short time, which is shocking itself really when you think of he got 10 years and only served two. All these things build up this man's character, right? Now, most serial killers are men, 99% of them are men. Most, when they're children, these sort of behaviors start as fantasies and then evolve as they get older. I think with Gacy, what happened with him was, yes, his childhood probably affected him in some way. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute because there's some questions even about his father about what his father really thought, I think. I think then you have to have a look then as he evolved into this really, you know, one of the most deadliest serial killers known, I think, in American history. Even today, there's still shows and programs we're doing him, aren't we? Because he's so, you know, extraordinary when you think of how he got away of it, why he did it, who he did it to, but it sort of all makes sense when you go through the whole case of why he wasn't caught as soon as, you know, sooner, I suppose, and sort of not what made him do it, but you could see him evolving into doing lots of things, but what really comes out in this case, I think, when you talk about, you know, this man, this Gacy, John Wayne Gacy, is his manipulation skills. Again, many serial killers most serial killers are very to the public outgoing happy you know the pillar of community people can't believe it when they're caught that they're actually serial serial killers as in this case it was very unusual you know people just couldn't believe it that he had done it you know he was so well liked in his community because he portrayed didn't he this is what his fantasy was. I think it separates him, actually, his fantasy, because he was always a killer. But his fantasy was to be an upstanding member of the community, to be accepted into that community. That was his strive in life. Killing came easy to John Wayne Gacy. It was the living that lie that really took the toll on him in the end. And I think once we go through this case, it's, it's so interesting. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. It's the first time you're speaking publicly. We're looking for the monster. Police found 29 bodies buried under Gacy's suburban Chicago home. Gacy was well-respected in his community and even dressed up as a clown to entertain children. He was convicted of murdering more people than anyone else in U.S. history. It's the living you gotta worry about. John, she carried secrets she went to the grave with. So most of Gacy's um, crimes were committed, his murders were committed at this sort of 
you know, ranch style sort of house in Norwood Park Township. And this is um, a suburb of Chicago. I'll try and find some pictures and stuff to put up for you. But typically would lure his victims into his home, sort of dupe them into, um, you know, having handcuffs put on. Because don't forget, he was like a clown and a magician. And it's, you know, this is how he done it. He was so great at putting people at ease and making them listen and believe everything he was saying. So when he said, oh, let me show you a trick, you know, put these handcuffs on. These people were so taken back after them handcuffs went on. Because this man, after these handcuffs went on, oh, he changed. It was an instant change. It's a typical serial killer. Once he's got you where you can't get away, that's when everything stops for him. And then he, his persona changes, his face structure changes. There's a lot about this man that changes because now he's really showing what he truly is to these victims. And that's how he sort of got so many of them into his property, how he got them to put handcuffs on. Also, he used chloroform as well. He liked chloroform, you know, it uh, relaxed him because he knew he could do what he wanted by these times these kids came out you know woke up in this chloroform it the abuse had just started it listen it was terrible for these these poor kids and this these these men that he murdered it was a torturous death for these people don't get it wrong he just didn't strangle them and you know use a garrote on them you know a lot of these people suffered for hours and hours about the from the abuse you know, the sexual abuse that he was inflicting on them, but also where he would choke them, let them go to recover a bit, do it again. He liked the suffering. Because remember, he believed that these victims were vermin, were rats. And he actually stated in one of his interviews that he did the world a favour, really, by getting rid of them. But you see, the thing is with gacing with other serial killers, as we've heard before, and actually when you even talk about organised crime bosses and stuff like this, or people that have worked for organised crime, and um, they use that term vermin, they use that term rats. It's to disassociate the person from being a real human being with feelings. Plus, Gacy really didn't have empathy. If you don't have empathy, you can do anything like this, or worse. So he disassociated his victims by calling them vermin and rats, so that he could, his conscience was clear. Do you see what I mean? But they would be begging and begging to get away from him, but because the empathy wasn't there, you know, that didn't register to him. He'd already disassociated it. He was going to do what he wanted to do to these victims. Again, another typical serial killer, a narcissist. Everything is about him and in this, in this case. Everything, everything he'd done to these victims was all his fantasies rolled into one and they got worse and worse and worse on every kill. But then we have this Gacy, a little bit like Holmes. Holmes built, didn't he, his, you know, his H.H. Holmes. He built his you know, murder castle to, you know, get rid of bodies. What this one did, what Gacy did, was bury, you know, 
his victims in the crawl space. I think he buried 26 in the crawl space. There was another three placed throughout his home. And then he dumped the last three kills into the um, Des Plaines rivers, in river. Uh, it literally just chucked him over the um, bridge into the river. Because he had run out of space in this property, it was full with bodies. Now, you know, most serial killers like to keep body parts or bodies close to them, or they like to go, and we've said this about other people when they, you know, the, and we've done one before about the Australian case um, of little Louise, where the bodies have never been found. But these are killers that like to go back or relive what they've done. They like to have these bodies close, right? They do. Gacy had them underneath him in a cupboard and stuff like this, close to him. Dorma had body parts and kept body parts for many, many weeks, you know, to relive that feeling. And so you're always looking when you're talking about serial killers to where they dump their bodies. It's usually somewhere where they're going to go and they can relive that experience. Gacy had it in the under his floor so he could relive that experience of every one of them deaths. And it's also about control, isn't it? Even after death, he still had control over these poor lads. That's what it's about. Reliving it and the control. That's what it's about. Now Gacy also kept very many, many, you know, trinkets and different stuff to remind him of them kills. Every kill, I think, that he made, he kept something from them to remember and to relive again that experience, um, you know, all over again, all over again until he made his next kill. Um, he just kept trinkets and stuff, and many, many serial killers do this for the same reason. It's about that reliving that experience. It's about getting that gratification from that kill over and over again, no matter how many they kill. It's never going to slow them down. It's just not. It's only there to, to bring back their memories, to make them feel powerful. And that's really all that is about. Or else they just wouldn't keep them, would they? So sort of here's where we find out really about just how a manipulator this man was. In many of these serial killers, you'll sort of highlight different areas of where you can see their real personalities coming through and how their manipulation skills really make them the killers that they are. Because without that skill to uh, make people be drawn to you, because they, they're very charismatic, they're friendly, they're educated, most of the time they are, you know, as I said, pillars of community and people want to know them. So Gacy was convicted of this sodomy of a teenage boy in uh, Waterloo, uh, in Waterloo in 1968. And we've sentenced to 10 years in prison, right, for this. Now he only served 18 months of that 10 year sentence. So that's sort of telling you something, isn't it? So when you think about, we have sex offenders now, and it was no different in them days that when you're you know, convicted of a sexual offence crime, especially against children and sodomy and everything else, that you would go into prison. You are at the lowest of that hierarchy in that prison, right? You're going to be attacked, you're going to have everything, because these prisoners really uh, does, don't want any of it, do they? That's what they think of you. So then we think, this man's got 10 years in prison, 
for these crimes of this young boy and it was of a boy of someone he knew that he was doing it to. Didn't kill him but he sodomised him and abused him and God knows what else he did to this young lad. Gets 10 years, sent to prison. All of a sudden, in prison, he isn't the lowest of the low. He's gone in there and he's told people that he is in there because he showed children pornographic, you know, uh, movies. You know, he was trying to educate these young boys about sex. Never ever said to them what he'd done. He turned it around. Enough so really that they all believed him. They all believed him. Then he goes on to not only manipulate the inmates of this prison, but also the, you know, um, the governor and everything else. He becomes the top chef, the first chef, you know, the man that, you know, has, you know, in prison, you know, that cook has, has a lot of, you know, pull because really, you know, it's the food, isn't it, and everything else. Then he goes on to do different things, to implement things into this prison, to help these prisoners. So, of course, he's an upstanding citizen even in prison, isn't he? He's even manipulated that situation. This is how manipulated this man was. To even go to prison as one thing, pretend to be something else, get away with it, have all these prisoners really liking him, admiring him, you know, thinking he's the best bloke. He goes for a parole a couple of times after the first year, I think it's denied. Uh, he goes for parole again, it's denied. But then his father dies and he says, oh, you know, um, it really heartbreak me and everything. And then they release him out. So when he goes out, he has to then go, you know, he goes back, doesn't he, to Chicago and um, really thinks I'm not going to go back there again. But he's learnt now though, hasn't he, that he can manipulate anyone. He, he really got away with it. Ten years, and you're not, you've done 18 months, I think he did, in prison from this manipulation skills that he's got. He's a very manipulative man, always was, even from a child. So let's talk about this childhood of Gacy, because don't forget, um, he's sort of said a lot about his childhood. He's also his mother and other, you know, his sister and other people have sort of said things about his childhood. But John Wayne Gacy was close to his mother and two sisters, um, but really his father disliked him. I think that's the best way to say it. He disliked him. Um, his father was an alcoholic and was physical abusive to his whole family, I think. Not so much the two girls because um, Gacy was, he had two sisters, so he was, there was, he was the only lad in that family. So his father was, um, he did sort of belittle him, his father, he did belittle him, and also called him dumb and stupid and comparing him really with the other two, with the sisters, that was, you know, sort of, you know, in the father's eyes, um, a lot better than John Wayne Gacy. I think he says one of his earliest memories was about his father beating him with a leather belt on occasions. Um, he said what he did was he just touched a few, his dad was a car mechanic and stuff, 
and he sort of dismantled certain bits and didn't leave it in order so his dad beat him and and stuff and I think his mother intervened and his mother was beaten as well that you know so okay he comes from a family or a childhood where he was put down where he was beaten um he was called a sissy he was called lots of different things you know you'll never amount to anything so he was put down from a very early age by a person really that shouldn't have been doing that because it influences his children as they're young and he's had this right the way from when he was born would influence his outcome but there have been many children that have had worse done to them than John Wayne Gacy and haven't go on to murder people. I think the other way you've got to look at this really as well is you have to think the father kept saying things to him like you doesn't don't fit in you know this sort of stuff did the father see something in Gacy that no one else saw was the dislike there for a reason because when you look at Gacy and you look at his early childhood he had a lot of illnesses um his father thought he was putting his illnesses on for attention you know you're, he says you'll never amount to anything you're lazy you're a liar all these sort of stuff was coming out so did his father see something in him that no one else saw in the end the father was sort of right wasn't he you know this boy turned out to be one of the worst serial killers in american history or did the father by abusing that child physically and you know mentally over them years and where gacy wanted that um, connection with his father but never got it was that part of what made him a serial killer you know there's questions there because a lot of this stuff comes from Gacy himself about his father but it, it's quite well known that the father just didn't like him really from a very very early age there was just something there was no connection there with this boy until much later on in life in Gacy's words so I don't know how true this is so I think you know his dad always used to call him a mummy's boy a sissy um, you know all this sort of stuff but you know when we think that Gacy was you know a homosexual and wouldn't say or couldn't say in them times right give him that he couldn't come out and, and say that his life would have been even worse you know but the dad was picking up on this sort of thing and I, I think this really did affect him in a way but did it really affect him in such a way that would make him go on to do what he did I'm not so sure it did probably played a part but as I said there's lots and lots of people that's been you know put down worse than him that's been abused worse than him both physically and sexually and everything else that haven't go on you know, hadn't gone on to become serial killers. So I suppose the question is, is was John Wayne Gacy made to be a serial killer from his nurture and nature, you know, the chemicals and stuff that go on the brain and, and the way he was brought up, or was he really just born to kill? You don't know, but I know at 11 year old, he had a bicycle accident uh, and he had a bleed on the brain. Now that could also because now we know that frontal lobe damage can cause the whole personality to change. So did that 
as well as the abuse, you know, the um, verbal and physical abuse as a child, and the bang on the head at 11, changed Gacy's personality so much that he went on to become what he was. There was a whole mixture of stuff, wasn't it? You know, was it that? Also, did him, he was known, he knew he was a homosexual, he knew he saw people differently, you know, sexual partners differently, but could not admit it in that day and age. That, you know, repressed where it's repressed in you. Your father's telling you this, you think he actually realises that you are one. Then the bang on the head, then everything else. There's a lots of things that could have been, you know, part of why Gacy did what he did. Gacy said that in 1949 that his father um, was informed that him, John G Gacy, uh, his son was, um, and another boy, was caught fondling a young girl and he was quite young at this point. So his father whipped him, you know, with this razor strap and stuff like that. So you know, as punishment. So he must have shown at some point an interest in girls um, or an interest in young girls and then um, to be whipped for it and stuff like this. And then I think, you know, that same year when that was happening, when he was being put down and, and, and whipped, you know, by this father, there was a contractor that molested Gacy um, in the back of his truck. Now this went on actually for, for quite some time. But he was afraid to tell his father about this abuse that he was suffering from this contractor. And so, because he didn't want the ridicule of it and he, and he didn't think that his father, this is in Gacy's words, that would believe him. And so of course it would give him more ammunition, the father, to then put him down even more. So all these things are coming together now when we look back in his childhood and stuff. Things happened, right? Things happened to him. But was it the majority, you know, the things that kept going bang, bang, bang in his life at this very early age, really, that made him what it was? Listen, it could have been. It could have been. Um, but obviously there was some reason why this man went on to do what he did in such a great way. And really, if he hadn't have been stopped, at the point he was stopped, he would have continued to kill and kill and kill, really. And I think if he hadn't changed his MO and the way he'd done it, and who he'd done it to, um, he would have still been getting away with murder. Now, Gacy was overweight, you know, he wasn't the most attractive man, he was overweight, he was unathletic, and because he had, or came across, I think, to the doctors having heart conditions and stuff, he couldn't do PE and stuff like that, which made him put on more weight. This is where this father really called him a liar and stuff like that, he didn't believe it, he wanted a boy to be a boy, you know, do these things, but he just couldn't do it. Um, I think during his, um, I think it was the fourth grade, um, when he um, had banged his head, and then he started having blackouts and different things like that, and he was hospitalised on occasions, I think. Also, he also had a burst appendix, but again, the father even stood over the bed in the hospital and said, I don't believe you, you're a liar. So there was lots of things. Now, when we look at Dorma, when Dorma went to school in his teenage years, he used to fake having um, epileptic fits. So 
is there something about serial killers right from an early age that need this attention, that need to fake something to get attention? Because Dormer wasn't getting attention from home, he wasn't getting attention from his father, he was from his mother and his sisters, but he wasn't getting attention from the person he wanted attention from. So was all this um, a ruse, really, to get that attention, the same as Dormer did, you know, these sort of things. A lot of these killers have a lot of things in common. They really do. When you look back in their childhood, very similar things happened to these killers that turned out to be some of the worst serial killers. So as for Gacy and this time in hospital spent, I think he spent so much time in hospital, to tell the truth, that he really, his education suffered and everything. So that was, again, another knock to him and also more ammunition for the father to sort of slate him and stuff. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. You can't even finish school and this, that and the other. So he was really, by that stage, I think, at 18, he'd spent most of, you know, these years in hospital. Um, sometimes for ailments, I suppose, that couldn't sort of be explained because really when you look then at his medical history after he had died, there wasn't a lot really wrong with him. Not, I don't even think a heart condition was actually there. So there was a lot of things that were made up for this attention. You know, kids like attention, you know, whether it's good or bad. And if you're neglecting a child at home or if a child thinks that the parent doesn't like him and he, he, he wants this, you know, attention, he will do anything to get it. And I think that was with Gacy, that's what really happened in his childhood. But I do think it formed then into lots of stuff, like his dad at one point brought him a car, he had to work and pay off for this car, his dad then would take the keys away from him for days at a time, you know, just because he didn't want him to have the car. I think and then he got the car back and then that was it. The minute he got them keys back, when he was ready to leave, he left. So he'd done a few things before he left it, you know, joined political parties and different stuff and um, all these sort of different things and his father even done that. But on this one last occasion, before he drove off and got the keys and the, actually the distributor cap, I think the father took out the car as well to stop him, just not to stop him going anywhere, but to have control over him as well. Once that father put that distributor cap back on that car, he was off and then he went off to Las Vegas. Now, so I think Gacy left home and drove to Las Vegas in Nevada. Um, he found work within an ambulance service. Before then, he transferred the work as an attendant in the mortuary. Now, again, right, we have a, a killer, now known, that we know is a serial killer, working in a mortuary, as a mortuary assistant in Las Vegas. He's working with dead bodies on his own, on his own, he's sweeping the floors and stuff like that. But again, that link to dead bodies, right? Because dead bodies, let's be honest, they're not gonna ridicule you, are they? They're not gonna answer you back. You can do and say what you want to them, as long as no one knows, really. So what was he doing in this mortuary? But it's just strange, isn't it, that he's gone and got this job in this mortuary, working with the dead, which is quite an isolated job. Everyone would go home, he'd go in there, clean up and look after it and stuff. But again, another serial killer, uh, you know, working with dead bodies. 
it just seems to be in him, doesn't it, really? When you think about it, really, how many killers have we had that have had some fascination with death? Quite a lot. You know, and he even lived there. He lived on a, like a pull-out bed sort of thing, in the back room, next to the embalming room. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen embalming. I have. I have many years ago I'd seen an embalming room I mean they don't do it so often now but years ago they did you know you have a slab don't you and you have the whole the drainage holes and you know they're taking out um, of your your you know liquids and stuff and then pumping in embalming fluid this boy slept next to that room he was probably fascinated with it to tell the truth again though it's another way isn't it of disassociating these his victims later on victims because that would harden you wouldn't it that would make you feel differently about death about life even you know when you have seeing these bodies on a slab when you're seeing you know really the fluids the life fluids being drained from them and embalming fluid being put in it helped him I think to detach them his victims, his live victims, to, for being human. And so this vermin then in his mind, how he used to call them, comes into it. He disassociates and working in this morgue, I think is the point where he really disassociated from reality, really about his victims. Plus, I don't believe this man had any empathy at all, ever, ever. I think his whole life, even from a childhood and everything else, was a lie. He lived a fantasy world. He had grandiose ideas. He wanted his fantasies. He only knew he was a killer deep down in his mind from a very young age. By the time he's 18, hit Las Vegas, you know, worked in a mortuary, he then became or was ready to become the killer he wanted to be. He was so disassociated from the reality. He knew he had manipulation skills that would get him by in life, really. Because if we really knew what was going on in the mind of some of these killers, really, you know, we'd have locked him up years before he'd done any crimes. But they're very good at what they do and they're very good at hiding what they do. But I do believe that this working in this morgue in Las Vegas was a turning point for him. So why did he leave then that job? I'll tell you why he left that job. He says that one night he was working and when he went back to his room he decided that he would go to where a body was in rest. A young lad, young teenage lad who had died was laying in rest and he opened up the coffin and he climbed into that coffin and he cuddled that body, caressed it. And he says, now, at interview, that he was shocked by this. I think what he was shocked by was his arousal of that. And I think he rang then his mother, and it didn't say why, but he rang his mother to say could he come back and ask whether his father would allow him to return home. And the father agreed, and then that day he drove back then 
to Chicago. Um, I think then he he's sort of this is where then he thinks I don't think he took a break from it I think what he needed to do now was I think that that experience in Las Vegas that experience of caressing that dead body and stuff really made him think okay this is probably what I want to do in some form or another and I'm going to go back home because if he'd been there, if he'd stayed there, he, he would have been caught in the end caressing these bodies and everything else. You know, um, so he's returned home and then he's gone to this Northwestern Business College because don't forget his education has suffered earlier on because of his, you know, hospitalisation and stuff like that. Now though, he knew, I think, that he was a great chatter, you know, he could sell anything really, he could sell ice to an Eskimo really. And I think this is why he went to this business school and this business school then became then for him the way that he could live out his other fantasy of living a normal life to the outside world, not to inside, not to himself. It's where then he could be a pillar of community he realised that that fantasy he needed to fulfil or else he would have been caught. So now he's hit, hasn't he, this Northwestern Business College. Despite not having um, graduated from high school because of his ill health and stuff like that, he's gone on then to graduate in 1963. He took a management training position with Nunn Bush, uh, it's a shoe company. Uh, you know, he had a good job. He'd made it, hadn't he? He's that fantasy of him being now the pillar of a community where he's respected and stuff. He's her manager. He's, you know, he found though by going to this college and doing that, he had really uh, found something that he was really good at. Because he was such a good manipulator, he could sell anything, as I said before. And this then empowered him in that, yes, I am a normal member of society. I can portray this persona out to the world that I am you know part of the community I do fit in I do understand about the communities and this is why people in this community really liked him because of his personality he was a very very you know passionate man about his work and you know how he sold things and what he did with life but it was at this point when he met a co-worker there and her name was Marilyn Myers now you know, she they had a courtship and, and really Gacy joined this local JC sort of work um, and it was like a junior sort of um, area, you know, you would go for business and, and stuff, you know, it was the local businesses all got together and every month or so they'd, you know, um, put on stuff and he then became the president and vice president of this. He really engrossed himself into this community. Now, luckily for him, Marilyn Myers' father owned some um, chain stores, I think it was KFC. He owned about three stores he owned, and he wanted Gacy to run these stores for him. This is how, you know, manipulated this man was. Because one, the man wanted to help his daughter, he gave him a house, and he, he was earning at the time, I think, 15000 dollars at that time about equivalent to these days about 145,000 dollars in wages he 
really worked hard. He, as I say, he was a pillar of community. He had a son first and then a daughter. On the outside of everything in that, at that point, you could say, Gase's life was amazing. And you could then say, well, why then would he mess it up? But you see, beneath all that, there was still these faults and he was acting out on these faults then even in that marriageable home at that point he had started to invite a lot of the co-workers back or the, the kids that worked within this you know uh, chain of stores um, of course you know the servers would be young they'd be paying for their college fees and stuff and working part-time but he never invited the girls back he only ever invited the boys back because in his basement he had the telly he had his office he had the pool table and this is where then he started to abuse people these children down there now a lot of the times he would try to molest them and if they fought back or said he would say oh i'm just testing you doesn't mean i'm just testing you but in the end that then became so difficult for him not to abuse these children. One of these kids that he held a knife to, literally at his throat, and um, abused this boy, threatened this boy, and even when this boy reported him, it wasn't believed because he was this pillar of society. You see, he's reached his pinnacle within society. Plus his neighbours, his friends, he used to hold these parties, Two, three hundred people used to come to his property outside and he'd be cooking and doing all this stuff. And then this is, you see, where this fantasy of being this normal person out to, to the world really hit home. Therefore, therefore, gave him what he could do. He thought he was untouchable, really. But when he was in this group of... Um, business group that he used to attend and the vice president one of his friends within that um, he had a son and Gacy really became attracted to this boy Gacy as I said was not the greatest looking man he was overweight he wasn't the greatest looking man and all his victims that he went for were attractive young men or boys very attractive and he wanted that, something that he couldn't have. So he then started to molest this boy. And this was one of the boys, or the boy, that he went to the prison, you know, got sent to prison for, for 10 years. Done 18 months, again, manipulated in there. And then came out. But when he came out, the wife had divorced him, took his children from him, even had alimony and God knows what else. She took the lot and he never saw them again. Then he was told he had to move to Chicago to be with his mother and go back to where he came from and live with his mother. And um, this is where then he brought this ranch style home and this is where his killings then started. The thing is with Gacy, he, because he wanted to portray this image and he thought being married was going to help that image. Because don't forget, this man, even though he'd been in prison and everything, he'd come back out, he started again. He met a divorcee woman and she had two children herself. And he married her, she moved in, the mother moved out. And um, it didn't last that long, really, because he was doing the same thing. 
there was no sex in that marriage. You know, it was a marriage really of convenience for him. It was a marriage where he could portray this illusion to his neighbours and his friends and everyone else, his business partners, that he was this happily married man. He had started then a painting and decorating and construction company, which was quite a big company and a lot of these victims came from this um, company, he hired people. Of course he did because in them days you had lots of young boys that were doing jobs that were not earning a lot of money. And when Gacy offered them them work within his company, this big, you know, construction company, he, they jumped at it really, didn't they, I suppose, because it was double the money they was earning. They thought, right, this is a career. Because he, as I said, he was such a manipulator. They would believe, people would believe anything he said. Not only the victims, but everyone that knew him believed everything he said. So he started then to murder these people and really this is how then he um, sort of notched up that many killings because of the way that he did it because of the way he got his victims not all worked for him some did about five I think worked for him he just couldn't help himself most of his other victims though were kids on the streets were kids that come from sort of broken homes you could say or where they couldn't guarantee that these kids hadn't run away um, so the police wasn't looking so again we talk about don't we and we've said this before about the victimology in these cases these killers are not stupid they go for people that are not going to be noticed that they're missing they may be reported missing but the police are not going to look for them one, because a lot of these kids went missing from these areas, these gay areas at the time. And so their lifestyle, oh, they just run away. It was time, wasn't it? You know, in that era where, you know, we've, we've heard this with many, many cases, haven't we? When we have victims that don't come from your normal, what we call normal, um, you know, sexual orientation and stuff. This is the issue when we start talking about, you know, sexual orientation of people, their choices they make and stuff. And in them point, I think it highlights really at that point in time, how the police and the society didn't care as much about them as they should have, as they should have. And it wasn't really until the last killing really that um, he got caught because he chose a child that was from a family um, that would look for him. Plus this young lad was working in a um, pharmacy. He was at high school and he was saving up for college and he was helping his mother save up for college. Um, he wanted to do great things and you know, this boy's life hadn't been taken as, as many of these kids' lives hadn't been taken. They would have gone on to do great things. And if not, they would have still go on to live their life the way that they wanted to live it. This young lad um, didn't have a chance, really. Of course, he's working in this pharmacy. He's trying to save his knee then for this education that he wanted. He wanted to help his mother out. And at the point, at this point, Gacy was doing some work with uh, this pharmacy, some construction work for them. And Gacy had spoke to this young lad and said, when you finish, come out and I'll have a chat in the car. But I think what Gacy didn't realise that his mum was picking him up 
from this job because it was her birthday and they were having a birthday party so she was going to pick him up and stuff and uh, then go on to this birthday party. So Gacy had, of course, obviously offered him a job, you know, for more money than what he was earning there. I can pay you a lot more money. You, you know, you can save, you know, you haven't got to work as long hours to save up for this college. So when the boy's mum come to pick him up from the pharmacy, she said, um, you know, he said, come in and wait, because I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to speak to this man in the van. Didn't say his name. Um, it's about a job, construction job. And uh, I'll be back in a minute. That child was never seen again. Now that young boy's name was Robert Peaston. Now he was the last, really, of them victims, I think. So on the afternoon of December the 11th, 1978, Gary, she visited, you know, this Nelson's pharmacy uh, in Des Plaines to discuss potential remodeling deals with the owner and stuff. And it's important this because this is how he sort of got caught this case. This is where he changed. Where his, he, 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 because he had got away with it, I think, for so long. It reinforced his idea that he can do anything. So by getting this child to come out, you know, by on a promise of work, and then leaving the mother standing there, the boy never returns. You know, it was obvious now that this boy hadn't run away. The mother's waiting for him to come back. He's just gone to speak to someone in the car and he'll be back in a minute, and he never returns. So she was then on at the police. She wanted her son found. So of course the police then talked to the uh, Nelson's pharmacy um, or Nissan's pharmacy um, sort of manager and he said about this construction worker and he gave the name and address of Gacy as that construction worker. And the police detectives did go round to Gacy and they said and I think it's great, it, you know, the, the thing is, this boy went on the 11th of December and the next day, you know, we're out, these police are out now looking for this lad and they're knocking at this door in the evening um, of uh, the 12th of uh, December 1978. And the police officer says, this detective says, you know, it was quite eerie really because it was quite dark, the house was quite dark and the front door had like a diamond shape on it. And as the light hit this diamond shape, as he was knocking, he could see the reflection of Gacy's face looking at him. And then Gacy slowly walked away, went back down and watched the telly. So, I mean, you know, there was no sign of any victims or anything in this house. In the end, they got a warrant and they've, they've got in the house, they, wanted, they needed to speak to him. And in the closet, in the bedroom, they found like, not a trap door, but they found like the floorboards it was a big closet. The floorboard was a bit loose. So they put a screwdriver in and they went to lift up this floorboard. The whole floor lifted up. And the detective said it did go down there and stuff and have a look and it was quite dry. There was nothing sort of that you could see down there at all. And um, they sort of asked him questions. They said that he was quite evasive in his, his answers. It's, it was like, I didn't know nothing, you know. He wasn't, he was a bit nervous and um, there was another search, you know, in the home and stuff like that and they found some trinkets and stuff like this. But they didn't find any bodies and they certainly didn't find this young Robert. So they left, taking the items that they had seized with them. And when they got back, they sort of discussed it and talked about the, you know, talked about 
this man because they knew something was wrong. So what they decided to do then was put 24-hour surveillance on uh, John Wayne Gacy because they knew really that he probably had something to do with this murder. In the meantime you have other investigators now looking at the items that they collected from this home, these like, you know, trinkets and stuff like that, or Gacy's souvenirs of his murders, really. And then they started linking it to people that had gone missing. Some of his workers that had worked for him and some of their items were there. So they sort of knew. This put a lot of pressure on Gacy though, having a police officer outside. Now this is where this, you know, um, grandiose ideas of him comes into play because he told neighbours, this is the FBI, they're protecting me. I've been threatened. Because remember he's a narcissist, it's all about him. I've been threatened they're there to protect me and stuff. They wasn't. They were police officers and they were there to make sure that this man didn't kill anybody else. Because if they hadn't have done that, without a doubt, this man knew he was going to get caught and he would have just carried on killing until he got caught. So, once they found out these trinkets were sort of linked to missing people, they decided then to get another search warrant that would allow them to have a real thorough search and also to dig up this underground crawl space that they believed something may have been there or they believed that, you know, Robert may have been in there, this young lad. And um, so they've, they've gone and they've done the warrant and they've executed the warrant and they've lifted up the floorboards, all of them, and they started to dig. And the ground was quite wet in there, uh, in a crawl space it would be, you know, it's under the house, the top layer was dry, and as they dug a bit further down, it was wet. So they've had to dig around, put their hands in and stuff, and they found then um, a rib cage of a human rib cage. So then everything stops, like, okay, we found a body. But as they was talking about finding this body, someone else who was digging in another area also then found, as he was digging down, another ribcage and other body parts. It turned out in that basement there was 26 bodies that he had buried, but he had run out of room in the crawl space. They also found in other parts of the house another three bodies. But what they didn't find was Robert's body at that time. I think later on when his body was found, it was found a few weeks or a few months later in this um, you know, river where he dumped three of his last bodies because he just literally ran out of room. When he was questioned over the murder, uh, you know, when he was arrested I suppose and questioned then over it, he, he did sort of say everything he did and he, he showed no remorse as I said before. He call, called them all vermin uh, rats and that they um, you know, needed to be gone, to got rid of, talking about all his victims. But he says about the murder of little Robert, this 15 year old, you know, great lad, lovely lad, high school, working, saving his money, for, you know, great family. He said about him that he murdered him in his home at about 10 o'clock that night. He sort of started questioning him on, about work and stuff because I think he was only on at that time um, on a few few dollars and I think that Gacy offered him five dollars an hour to work for him, almost double his pay really that he earned at this uh, pharmacy. So that was incentive for the boy 
to go. I don't know how it came that the boy, I know he went to the van where his mother was still waiting in there, but I don't understand, you know, when you have your mum waiting, what Gacy could have said to him to take him back to his home. So you can't always believe what Gacy says. Did he attack this boy, chloroform this boy or something in that van? Because this boy had his mother waiting for him. I can't see him leaving his mother waiting in his shop for him. He's just going to pop out and talk to someone. I'll be back in a minute to where then you go off to someone's home and start having a chat. So some of what Gacy says about his victims doesn't always add up. But it is known that he did use chloroform on these um, people and without a doubt I think this may have happened actually to Robert. When he either awoke or got to uh, Gacy's home, he um, Gacy started questioning him about you know what he would do for money and stuff and so the boy was really only thinking about in his mind about the work so he said listen I'll do anything I'm a really hard worker you know I really want to go to college I really want to help my mum out I really you know there's things I want to do in life and stuff and um so but Gacy wasn't talking about that Gacy wanted to abuse this boy right whether he was going to kill him or not at that point is unclear but he wanted to abuse this boy as a very attractive young lad it was perfect for Gacy it was perfect what he wanted it was you know, his victim through and through, really, what he liked. This boy didn't stand a chance. Um, and I think what then Gacy did was, again, use this trick. Listen, I'm a clown and I like to do this, that, and the other. Let me show you a trick. Oh, put the handcuffs on and that's when he changed. And Gacy even said, he stated, you know, um, I'm going to rape you to that boy. This boy then knew he's in handcuffs. He can't get away. This man's telling you what he's going to do to you. And um, that's what he did. He said he put a rope around his neck. The boy, boy was crying. He was scared. Um, Gacy admitted having received a phone call from a business acquaintance um, as this young Robert lay dying suffocating actually suffocating on his bedroom floor because don't forget as I said he liked to abuse his children torture and you know make sure they didn't die quickly he liked to see that suffering and some of these kids and young men took around two hours to die now I suppose the confession of Gacy I think this is on the 20th of December actually when Gacy went to see his um, lawyer in Park Ridge and he attended this uh, a meeting actually about to discuss the civil suit that was going on at the time with him. And the lawyer says he turned up and he was dishevelled, he was really, he didn't know what to do. Because don't forget now, Gacy's life now is falling apart. You know, this persona that he shows to the outside world now is coming to an end. People are really going to now see just what he is. So this lawyer starts saying to him, you know, well, what's going on, what's happening? And he opens up actually, the Daily Herald at that time, which was on the front paper, was this child, you know, Robert Pierce was on this child, you know, on the front of this paper as missing. And he said, uh, this boy's dead and uh, he's in the river. 
and that's how they found not only his body but the other uh, two boys that were in that river as well. So Gacy did give, you know, um, a rambling confession actually to him, I suppose, and this went on for hours, even into the following morning. This went in, went on for. But as he was going through this, you know, rambling confession, he started to say that he killed about over thirty. He said he trapped five in the river and twenty odd under the crawl space, but tried to justify why these victims, why he chose these victims. He said, you know, really that Gacy dismisses as victims as male prostitutes. That's what he tried to say. You know, they were all male prostitutes. I've just got rid of them. They're all vermin. This is how he really portrayed them as hustlers and liars and all this stuff to try and justify what he had done to these young boys, which was so untrue. Really, and I think, really, when you think about what he did to these children, tortured them, you know, before killing them, abused them, terribly abused them, for his own sexual gratification. I, I, it's shocking really, isn't it? How someone can do that, you know, in, in, it's just shocking to me. And the more you read about this case and everything else, you know, if he hadn't killed Robert, who was from a different area, I suppose, you know, uh, he had a, you know, a, a family that pushed to find this boy, how many more people had he murdered or could he have murdered in that time? There are questions, I'll tell you now, to whether he worked alone. Um, uh, I don't think on all of them, I don't think 33, is the amount of that he killed. I think there's many, many more. I do think that he worked with others on some, without a doubt. There was a paedophile ring at the time and he was meant to be linked to that paedophile, which was a you know statewide paedophile ring. And I'll be discussing this more on Let's Have a Chat About Murder. But, so he was linked to other stuff. Yes, I believe he killed 33 on his own or plus more. But I do believe there was others that he killed um, with others uh, as part of that. And I do believe that, yes, he was involved in this child's sex ring and um, trafficking that was going on at that time also in the United States of America. There's evidence really that shows, shows that. There's evidence also, I suppose, that shows that, you know, um, he did work with others on certain points but not always on the kills that he did himself. I think these were purely his. I think you are talking about the worst person, really, when it comes to serial killers. And I think when we look back at his childhood, yes, his father was abusive and everything else. He had the bang on the head, didn't he? Which caused the bleed and everything else. He... Um, you know, there's lots of things you could have said would have made this man a killer. There is. But I just think sometimes some criminals like this, some serial killers like this, because when you have 99% of serial killers being men, being males, when you have a lot of these cases, as we've looked at, have very similar things they like to do. And I know with Gacy that he... 
after his execution, his his um, family did donate his brain and his body to uh, you know science, so to try and see what was wrong, if there was anything, and it turned out really that there was nothing insignificant about his brain at all. It was quite normal. So what is it then that makes these cases so similar, these killers so similar? Is it something that's so deep inside them? Something that, you know, it's pre, you know, it's put in there, but we can't find it. We, we haven't, we don't know enough about the brain yet to have found what creates this sort of killer. Because there has to be something when they're all linking up these cases. And I think it's so important when we look at serial killers and we look at their brains and we look at their histories and we talk to serial killers about why they've done things to try and get this overall, you know, you're never going to find out everything about them and you're never going to find out a connection between a lot of them. But there are certain things, aren't there? There's certain signatures that, that serial killers have that can't be just born with it, right? Or they are born with it, but something else, the nature, the nurture, the environment, all this sort of stuff, you know, the chemical imbalances, is it so significant in the plant isn't it? it's triggered by something that we don't know what triggers it it's really um extraordinary when you think of our brain and how our brain works but i think with empathy and when we talk about empathy serial killers do lack the ability of any empathy at all or else they wouldn't be able to do what they do they can also there's certain situations in all their lives that separated them from us or from seeing us as victims, how they disassociate human life. Do you see what I mean? It's like really interesting how and why serial killers can disassociate themselves from that to be able to kill like they do and to get pleasure from that kill. Most serial killers kill because they want to experience the pain and suffering of others. Is it for them to try and feel because they haven't got this empathy? You know, is that what it's about? It's unclear, isn't it? It's really unclear. But really, when you think about this case, this Gacy and the amount of people he killed, I think his oldest was 26 year old. They were all very good looking, young men everything that Gacy wasn't really everything that Gacy wasn't these boys were and it's such a shame that these children's lives ended really and young men's lives ended at the hands of this man the deaths that these children and young men must have had it was torture for them and their poor families it, it, it's shocking really but as I say, Gacy did go to court. Of course he did. He admitted it, didn't he? He told everything in the end. He couldn't. He had no option, did he? But to admit it. And then he started telling his stories and stuff like that and did interviews and stuff. And I suppose even he really uh, may have wanted to know why he did it. I don't think he cared. He didn't care enough about his victims to have any empathy or apology for them at all. There was never any of that. Right until the end, it was always about Gacy himself. Always. 
the stories he may have told, how he killed them. He was quite open about how he killed them and telling you the descriptions and stuff. He was very happy about that. You know, and in prison, I think he got uh, four death sentences and 12 life sentences. I mean, I love, I, you know, I just love American, you know, sentencing, really. But he was put to death, you know, under lethal injection. And uh, as I said, his body then was uh, released out for investigation, really, to find out why he did what he did. But I think with, with Gacy, as I've said, if he hadn't have killed that young lad, that last one, he would have continued on. But they always get caught in the end. Because now we have, we are more focused, aren't we, when we have children that go missing. No matter what they are on, what type of person they are on, what, you know, what their sexual orientation is, it doesn't matter. Because the problem is, is if we don't focus on them sort of things, and the police don't get involved very quickly to find what's happened to these children, we could have another potential serial killer on our hands. Now this still goes on, but not as much. But police in all countries have become so much more aware now of when you have young children, young men going missing, they are probably victims now. They are looked at as victims. They are not looked at as runaways. They are looked at as victims and then they look for them and if they find that they've run away, then they've run away. So the times are changing. We have changed over the years, haven't we, to how we look at serial killers, how we look at crime, how we discuss crime and make ourselves aware about these sort of crimes. But I think the one thing you should take from this case is that Gacy was the pillar of his community. That was what he was. They loved him. People could not believe when he was arrested all these murders and that he had stashes of bodies under his floorboards that he was a killer people that were in prison with him for the 18 months he spent in prison disgraceful that you know where he manipulated the system and everything else and even manipulated the inmates who should have known better than to take someone's you know um you know crimes that you know what they say is true he manipulated everyone. If you can go to prison and manipulate the inmates and the staff and the governor and come out on a 10 year sentence after 18 months, you are an expert manipulator. These serial killers like Gacy, that's how they get by. They fit in, they infiltrate into our society. They are normal to me and you. They're the life and soul of the party. They're great friends. They'll do anything for you. But underneath, you see, they're quick, killing as quick as look at you, really. If you got in their way, or if you was one of the victims, or they liked you as a victim, you would not have had a chance against Gacy. Because by the time you knew what was going on, you would probably be in tortured and in the end murdered. That's how quick this man changed. From that handcuff going on, or from when you woke up, from when you was knocked out, really, when you woke up, this man was a different man to the man you met. His persona, his facial structure, the way he spoke, 
that's a serial killer for you. One way looks like this, and another way looks like that. And if you ever see behind that mask, you are the victim, and you'll never see anything again. So thank you for watching, and until the next time, bye-bye.